of the <coughs> composing the mind, the body, the bringing together the here and now, the body, the posture, the uh, breath, sound of the silence. So these are the kind of foundations, the kind of points of reference to stop the mind from just wandering. And, and the nature of thought is to wander, and as it's not just the way it is, if one uh, doesn't understand your, if you don't understand how your mind works, then of course you're just caught in that in that momentum of wandering of thinking, which is uh, based on perceiving time as reality and self, yourself, your soul, your personality is, a, is the kind of reality that you operate from. So like in, in Nietzsche and Anatta, uh, the, these two uh, words, impermanence and not-self, are kind of reflected on, you know, it's, it's not trying to to attach to the idea of impermanence and non-self, but to use those words. If you're going to think, you know, use those kind of words to really observe time as experience and Personality, this, the, what we think we are, believe and assume that we are this person. <coughs> so like in, in uh, the four foundations of mindfulness, Satipatthana, this, these are like in Gayanupasana, uh, Vedananupasana, Jitanupasana, Tamanupasana. These are just four different emphases, uh, way of looking at the same thing, really. In uh, Jitanupasana, is a kind of exploring mental experience. So they say to know uh, the state uh, with your mind is peaceful or confused, excited, calm, depressed, um, malleable, stiff, rigid. This way of, of uh, noticing the way the, the, the mood of the mind is at this time. Then Tamanupasana is uh, the, you know, we're 
investigation of the Four Noble Truths, the Paticca Samuppada, Dependent Origination, the, the, the uh, teachings from, from the Pali Suttas, <coughs> but not, not just uh, an intellectual grasp, but uh, you know, using them for reflection. So I've <coughs> during this morning reflections, always refer back to the Four Noble Truths. Because that is a, a kind of outline, a paradigm, uh, a teaching that I found incredibly useful over all, all these years. You know, it's not just a beginner's Buddhism, oftentimes it's regarded in uh, in some circles, but it it uh, it really it isn't meant to be kind of an introduction to Buddhism, but it is a it is a, a teaching that that uh, allows us to investigate our experience and put it in the context of Dhamma rather than where you know you have a you actually have a, a kind of mental outline there, an intellectual outline that that uh, isn't fraught with all kinds of personal, cultural biases. You know, so, so the truth of suffering is, is not, uh, not like a kind of cultural uh, experience, is it? Or the origin, cessation, and path. These are, these are kind of beyond a uh, kind of individual or cultural uh, uniqueness. They're common. This is the, this, if we explore experience through these four truths, then we, we uh, have to awaken to do that. Actually, when you're using the Four Noble Truths, you're in, you're, if you're not just uh, clinging to views about the Four Noble Truths, but actually applying it to experience, then you, to do that you have to be awake. You can't just be caught in a bias or some positioning of your, some intellectual position. So there, the Four Noble Truths are all about the here and now. It's not, it's not, you know, you know, if you practice hard on this retreat you might get some path knowledge and then you can practice the path. Uh, that is a that is a coming from the sense of a self, isn't it? You, st you know, the, I, when you start thinking about four noble truths, because it's the number four, you think start with one, and then the, the then the linear progression occurs one, two, three, four. That's that's the limitation of thought. Thinking is has to you have A, B, C, D, one, two, three, four. You can't think one, two at the same moment. You have to think one first and then two. Obvious. <laughs> so, uh, recognizing that, that that's, that's not a criticism of thought, but recognizing its limitation. Thinking is, is, a, is a function, a limited function, an important function 
of the mind. But to try to realize the path and be liberated from delusion through thinking is uh, you reach a dead end. All you can do is put it off for the next lifetime, really, because your whole structure is, is based on this dualism of time. So that getting beyond that, beyond time, the timeless, akalika dhamma, is the only possibility is through uh, awareness, isn't it? Awareness isn't a construction of time. So that's why uh, reflecting on the here and now is uh, because we do, we, we, we live in a society that totally believes in time as reality and self as reality. So you know, the impingement you get from the culture you're living in, the society you're living in, is very much one of, uh, of belief in, the, in that as, as the real world. And that many people think we don't live in the real world, we live in a kind of special or unreal world. Maybe it's the reverse, maybe the world they live in isn't real. But the, and so the, the timeless then, like the, the body is definitely a time-bound condition. You know, and it's, it's the obvious focus because it's, it has so much impact on our experience in the present, in you know, the state of your health and the, the kind of, the, the feeling, the, the, the sensation the incredible impingement onto the senses, uh, physical, having a physical body is such a powerful experience, overwhelming for most of us. This, this, this human form and all its senses, its nerves and all its organs and, the, and then its uh, aging process. So it's not to be dismissed just by trying to get into some kind of mental state by, <coughs> you know, trying to suppress, ignore uh, the, the sensory world, the sensory forms. Then the breath is also time, isn't it? Inhalation, exhalation. There's nothing permanent in, in breathing. It's a continuous, ongoing process. Uh, so you, you know, so you, you can witness and observe just the breath, the inhalation, exhalation, the subtleties. Uh, as you concentrate the mind, uh, the breath gets increasingly more refined, almost seems to disappear. So breath, body, 
And then the sound of silence, primal, primal sound of vibration of the universe. And that, that has this flowing quality, you know, it's like a, a vibration, it, 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 it's not created, but it, is, it has continuity to it, it's self-sustaining, it's not, not something like the breath it, that it goes, you know, inhales and exhales. It has the, this flowing sense of flowing, of, of a movement, it's not static. But it, it is self-sustaining. So exploring this sound of silence uh, is, uh, is interesting because, uh, you know, not, most people Either they don't recognize it, or they don't understand it or value it. So, uh, learning how to use it, how to explore it. One thing, an attitude towards it, you know, kind of sound of silence, put it into uh, uh, an exotic language, Sanskrit call it the Nada, Nada Yoga, gives it a little more kind of, you know, it sounds more worthwhile, uh, call it a buzz in the ear, that makes it sound unpleasant, call it the universal sound of the cosmos, that makes it very important. You know what? How we what we project onto it. <coughs> if it's a buzz in the air, then the, that kind of thing. Is, how, how can I get rid of it? You know, what do I do with it? You know, it uh, sounds like a some kind of ailment or something unpleasant. And the buzz in the air, like you know, an insect. Uh, a, a, a fly that, that won't go away. <coughs> put it into exotic language, then it sounds mystical, and then if you put it into this kind of primal uh, sound of the universe, it, it uh, sounds grandiose. But anyway, just to to bring it into consciousness is the is the whole point. To to ha learn how to use it, how to investigate it, how to reflect on it, rather than try to uh, verify its value or its lack of value. It's just you know just get rid of it, just ignore it, or you know you've really you know you really found something fantastic, primal sound of the universe great mystical experience, you really got it now, and the way the, the ego will jump in and, and either dismiss or exaggerate.
So recognize the power of language, how we, how we perceive things, you know, the, the words that we use, uh, the way our mind tends to, to want to create them into something, uh, you know, more than what they are, or just be critical and despise them, dismiss them as not worth anything. <coughs> So what I'm doing in, in these reflections is bringing into consciousness at this moment the natural forces that are happening now that I'm not creating. I'm not, you know, creating a state or a, or a attaching to to any particular thing, but just observing, witnessing. You know, the composing the mind, the body mind, the composing. The, on the that which is happening at this very moment, from this position sitting here is the body, breath, sound of silence. So that <coughs> bringing the body into it, the 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 its its posture and its breathing, and then this. Vibration, background. It's like it's a background. It 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 uh, is kind of behind everything else. Now, if you train yourself to contemplate this, you you begin to hear it everywhere. You know, even when there's music, it's the background of all sound, of all music, of all noise, of everything, of thought. So it has this this sense of infinity, it has boundlessness, has no boundary. It's not a destructive force, it's not something, not a sound that blots out other sounds. But it's not like a noise that, that kind of, uh, <coughs> you know, if you, if you really concentrate on it, it gets so loud that it'll just annihilate every other sound in the universe. No, it's it's a subtle vibration, but it's a, in the background, and it, it's con continuous. Your relationship to it may be sporadic, so you you lose, you know, your mind wanders, and you forget all about it. But if you notice, it's always present once you detect it, recognize it. <coughs> Then, uh, once you recognize it, you know, maybe certain conditions help, such as, uh, you know, uh, solitude or quiet, you know, uh, sitting posture in the temple, you know, but when, you're, when you're not excited or, or distracted, you might notice it. So then it's easy to identify this sound with a particular place or a particular activity, such as formal meditation. <coughs> and then you, you can only do that, have that, or recognize that under certain conditions, you know, 
idyllic condition. Because the way the mind will identify the experience with the, with you know the what you're experiencing with the conditions around you. But the encouragement is to you know to, to integrate it. It's uh, it's ongoing. You know, the movement of the body, the four postures, the inhale is the background of inhaling, exhaling. It's the background of of walking meditation. It's the background of washing the dishes, cooking the food, um, whatever you're doing. It's uh, interesting to even read with it. Or intentionally think, you know, how... (coughs) I used to have this Mala is uh, from Tibet. It's made out of uh, yak bones. It had kind of flat beads, you know, they weren't round. And then there was a big gap, so I just uh, used this mala. Start with holding one of the, the beads and then moving it across this gap listening to the sound of silence, is training myself to, to uh, <coughs> concentrate on this sound, to bring this sound and to sustain my attention to it through, you know, using this, this uh, kind of, with my hands, using this, moving this bead across this gap in the mala, and then the next one. And it was just uh, a kind of, Upaya, skillful means to to really uh, develop awareness, bring this uh, sound of silence, and sustain it. Because it was easily lost, you know. If I uh, at first I'd easily get distracted from it, <coughs> or just counting. I used to inwardly count one, listening to the stillness, the silence, one. Two, three, four, five, like that. Just to to get to uh, create this sustaining attention on it. I've even filled up pages of notebooks just writing silence on them. But every time I write the word, you know, the, I'm with that stillness. So I, can't, I listen to the sound of silence and write silence. And that a way of uh, keeping the mind from wandering away from it, holding it to the, the sound of silence. <coughs> I used to, in the old days, at Christmas time, send out hundreds of Christmas cards. And sign them, uh, personally sign them. And I do that to the sound of silence. Ajahn Sumato, in that, like, in that sound of silence. I tune into the sound of silence, and then I write my name on on a card. (coughs) And that's just different means, skillful means of, uh, of of get, making that more constant, more prominent, because the 
the momentum of habit is uh, is so strong. You know, I'm the uh, you know I'm, I used to be just the most obsessed thinker. You know, just couldn't stop it, and uh, just get whirled away immediately by by any uh, thought that enters the mind, and off I go. Easily distracted. So this was tying myself to my attention to this ringing sound because I found, you know, I could, uh, you know, it was, it was a, had a continuity, sustaining, ongoing, flowing quality that I could open to and still operate from. I didn't have to sit in samadhi to get it. You know, I didn't have to shut down. I could sit at my desk with a fountain pen and write my name and still be fully with the sound of silence. Or, you know, you get restless and physically I'd get terribly restless and all this. So I found using a mala sometimes, a kind of way of physically doing something, you know, using my hands to move a bead and things like this. These were these were skillful means, but always with the the uh, point of being in the stillness, resting in this stillness, till it became increasingly more, you know, natural. It's a natural state, so it's not it's not like you, you know it's it's that difficult, but it's it's difficult because of the power of our habit. You know, we make it difficult. In itself, it is not. <coughs> and then uh, using it in uh, in just the life here or wherever I am. So, in you know, with the sound of the airplanes going over or the the lawnmower or the machinery or the sound of the rain or the whatever the wind. Uh, the sound of other voices. So that after a while, you know, even the most uh, cacophonous noise, the background of it is sound of silence. So it it, it, it it once you develop it, then it's just a natural. It's it's it's, a, it's you know complete, it's spontaneous. Now it's, for me, it's just spontaneous. I don't have there's no effort in in being here with it. It's not it's just you know it's not a. I don't have to do anything to to or, you know try to sustain it because of cultivating it, developing it. So it's with me when I'm, you know, uh, traveling in airplanes, in in uh, offices, immigration, baggage, go to Thailand, <coughs> and then uh, <coughs> meet, have to meet a lot of people. But this, this uh, stillness is with me, you know, it's my it's 
you know, it's not something that, that disappears. My attention to it can, can go and, and move, maybe concentrate on something else. But it's always here, you know, so it's not something that I ever lose. In our lives, sometimes we have to concentrate on an object. And that, but, th but that is from the background rather than just some willful act of me having to do something. Also, uh, integrating it into just the banality of ordinary life, brushing your teeth or putting on your robes. Like in monastic life, we say, I am mindful when putting on my robes. And we, we have these samanasanya reflections. I found that, you know, putting on the robe, taking off the robe in the sound of silence, a way of training <coughs> to use just the ordinary activities of monastic life for training, for, for developing this. Uh, the eating the food in the alms bowl, you know, it's all, you know, this Tudanga practice of eating from the alms bowl, and these are all, can be used very skillfully <coughs> as conventional forms. So, you know, we're not quibbling about them anymore and, and uh, making a big problem. We just have, we simplify everything with the four requisites, and, and then we can use that, those experiences with awareness the eating, putting on, putting on, t putting on, taking off the robes, and and the um, <coughs> four postures of the body, breathing. That's the simplicity, and underlying all that is this unlimited stream or flow, vibration. That's interesting, <coughs> exploring this in, you know, because in um, Theravada, I've never heard anybody mention it. And so, it, you know, sometimes people think I'm, I'm kind of going outside the agreed form, mentioning this, because it's not in the scripture. But I'm taking it more in in terms of the spirit of the Buddha of, you know, this is, you know, of awakening to this presence. Uh, and what do I see? You know, what do, you know, do I have to see everything according to what the scripture says? Or is the scripture there to help me to see things? You know, because it, it's in the seeing that, that, that we are liberated, not by trying to see according to scriptural teaching. And it's interesting now, the kind of problems of modern religion here in the, you know, in the Anglican Church, all the controversies that they have around what God taught or what the Bible says. You know, so there's, there's hardliners uh, that hold a very strict kind of interpretation of biblical teaching and, and and they're always quoting well God wants us to do this and God wants us to do that and God doesn't like 
homosexuality or things like this. They're always going on about what God approves of and doesn't, and and uh, and then there's then there's more tolerant uh, types, the more liberal, more willing people that have more kind of not so rigid in in what they're grasping. But uh, it all sounds pretty silly to me, actually. The joke. <coughs> Like I, you know, I'm I'm God's interpreter, you know, and I, I know how I know what the Bible says, and I know what God approves of and doesn't approve of. So it's all, you know, it's the the, the problem of modern religion now. Not criticizing religion, but recognizing attachment to views and opinions and doctrines, and how, uh, you know, that come from a different time. And 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 how to interpret scriptural teaching? So it, you know, literally or metaphorically or whatever. These are these are uh, the you know the controversies that modern Christianity and Islam, Judaism have. But in uh, awareness, then this this resolves itself. You know, because we're not here to to believe in what the Buddha said or taught, but to put it to the test. You know, to find out. And and that we can only, you know, find out through our own experiments, our own investigation, not through somebody else's. Then in other like in uh, there's a uh, in India, there's a, a lot. There's, it's considered a kind of yogic practice, not a yoga. It's also uh, mentioned in, uh, like, in Sufism, and in um, Sikhism. So Guru Nanak and Kabir and people like this talk of it. It's kind of it was, you know, this is in a, in a way that you you kind of uh, recognize what they're talking about. Now there's a there's a group that that come off the come out of the Sikh religion that called the Sant Mat and they or the Radha Swamis. And there, I became aware of this, and, and, and so I met some when I was in New Delhi two years ago. And uh, they happened to be Americans who were working with my friend at the American Embassy. That's kind of ironic. You go to India to meet Radha Swamis, and they turn out to be Americans. <laughs> working in the American Embassy with my Peace Corps friend. So, anyway, yeah, they gave me some books. And then I found out there's, uh, up in Bedford, there's, uh, there's a kind of headquarters for the Radha Swamis in Britain. So that was interesting. Then there's a, a man that comes here, Surindra, who 
who uh, uh, you know says he's a Buddhist. He's very interested in Buddhism, and and was talking to him about it. And he said, "Well, his parents were Radha Swami. So here, right, right in Amravati, even before I went to India, they were, they were, they, you know, the sources already existing." But then what happens with that is that uh, they tend to make it into a special initiation. And uh, there's a kind of like the Sarinda wanted to take me to, to meet the uh, head teacher when he was visiting England. And then there was some resistance from other people because I guess according to their view, you're not supposed to hear this sound unless you're initiated by a teacher you know, through a special something or other. So this is, uh, and so there was somehow, I you know, it was, I got the impression that um, there, it would be difficult to bring me to meet this teacher. So, I mean, that's fine. But, but just pointing out how we can create difficulties around this. You know, we can, we can, you know, form a little sound of silence cult and, and uh, you know, make it, you know, we're the, we're the kind of specially privileged people who have this special initiation. And this is all conceptual proliferation again. It is creating onto this reality all kinds of perceptions that we're making it into something more than what it is by giving it, you know, giving it this kind of sanctity and, 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 uh, and clinging to it as, as some kind of personal privilege or achievement. And this is exactly what the Buddha did, you know, was trying to stop us from doing by this investigation of, of uh, conditionality. So just not so not, not to make it you know I can make it into uh, you know I've used upayas uh, that that help me that kind of encourage me to to value this but I know what I'm doing I'm not just you know creating an illusion around it but if I use upayas to give it importance it's because if I if I just see it as a buzz in the air it doesn't sound worthwhile to even bother with. Just try to ignore it as best you can do. So I've I've used you know make it uh, call it buto. For me, the that is the kind of quintessential mantra of Buddhism, the Buddha's name, and that's what. We were taught and used a lot in with uh, in the forest tradition in Thailand was the Bhutto mantra. So I've developed that as the the Bhutto, the the uh, the awakened state, the awakened being. So when when I think of this this when I use this mantric sound Bhutto, then immediately it brings in I'm conscious of this 
still, still vibration. And I've trained it that way, you know, using, using the forms that we have in Theravada Buddhism, the words, the, the language, the concepts, the uh, ceremonies, the monastic form, as th these are all kind of, of, of structures that, that I, I've used with this uh, practice. So it's not like, like you know, I'm, I'm not trying to dismiss or diminish the tradition in any way, but learn to use the tradition so it works, so it actually allows me to, to explore and realize, investigate, and have insight into these Four Noble Truths. So whether, you know, God approves or not, <laughs> but this, this, you know, <coughs> this concept of God also tends to, to uh, you know, the attachment to a view about God is, 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 the, is the obstruction. The atheist isn't, is, you know, isn't so much a problem as someone who's attached to a very fixed view. So then, when we when we attach to a fixed view, we're limited to a view, which makes us quite insensitive and unfeeling and and lacking in in kind of openness to to experience. We always want to force the society into into the rigidity of our own thought patterns and and uh, conventions that we feel safe with. So it becomes you know religion religions. Uh, conventional religious forms can become very tyrannical if we're not careful. <coughs> so, like this awakeness, and this is just from you know what I'm doing is I'm just sharing what I've learned and what I've how I've meditated. I, you know, I can't, we, each one of us is working out our own karma, so I can't, you know, I can't very well say you have to do it like I do. You know, I can't impose my, my practices the way that you have to do it. Uh, because I've never found that possible, you know, to, you know, I can, and then I'm coming from some idea that I've done it right and that everyone else should do it the way I do it. And that comes out of what? Out of the sense of self again. I'm back into the, into the sangsara. I've done it the right way and you should all do it my way. It's another rigid perception, you know, another uh, condition that I create and, and blind myself with. So that's why that, that it's, you know, the reflection of each one of us is working out our unique karmas. And, you know, we're not, we can't say you have to do it the way I do. Or we can say that, but it, 
to actually make that possible is, is impossible. And that's why this awakening is, the, is really the message of the Buddha, isn't it? Wake up, you know. Because that is an encouragement. You know, that, that isn't kind of my practice, as if I've discovered wake up, is, 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 and, and that you have to wake up like I do, then it becomes absurd. But, but if you, you know, if, you, if, if I encourage, like the Buddha teaching, all this encouragement, really, even the word buto means wake up, so it, it's it's kind of it's the essence of the whole. Uh, the for Buddhi for Buddhist uh, conventions of any sort is awakeness. So then, wake up is say, I believe in waking up because the Buddha said to wake up. Then it's absurd again. <laughs> you don't believe in waking up. You do it. <coughs> You know, you don't have to believe it. It's something you can actually do right now. So it's you believe in things maybe that you don't, you know, you don't, and you know, you trust po the possibility. But in waking up, this is just an, this is something here and now. It's not tomorrow. So that, but that sounds too simple, doesn't it? wake up, well then what do you do when I wake up, what, what should I do then? And then the, the thinking mind, you know, understands the, the imperative of wake up. But the conditioning of the mind is about wandering around all the time in the past and future. Distracting, you know, always going from one thing to another. And uh, Operating from uh, fixed views of self, binding myself to the limitations of my habits. I am my habits, I am my body, and, and never questioning that assumption. So wake up then, buto, sound of silence. And that then, then because I'm used to that now, this is very natural for me, spontaneous. Then it, um, it uh, gives me this, this vast perspective on what actually I'm feeling right now, as uh, through the body or, or the state of mind. So it it, uh, it it you know it's the background for the body and the breath, for the feelings of pleasure, pain, neutral sensation, for the uh, for the jitta, for the emotions and thoughts. So then you can uh, explore that. You know, so the, just the identities, uh, 
you know, like intentional thinking. Uh, you know, deliberately thinking. And, but, but in te- you know, bringing it into consciousness, noticing the, the silence first, and then the thought arises. And the thoughts you can't sustain, they, they disappear immediately, don't they? So I think, say, right now, empty, and I think George Bush, then, then, the, then the, the thought of George Bush leaves an impression. You know, I have uh, a, a mental uh, kind of feeling of aversion when this name is mentioned. But the actual name has disappeared, isn't it? The, the, I can't sustain George Bush, the, na- the words. But because it leaves an impression on the jitta, then there's a certain sense of aversion that I can notice. And, and there's stillness, with the stillness, because the, the sound of silence is present. But I'm aware of this kind of, this uh, lingering sense of, of aversion until it ceases. So it's a way of investigating you know, how, how words do affect us. You know, so, uh, you know, we, we think, uh, you know, how, how, we affect each other. You know, I mean, sit in my kuti, and I can think of one of you, and, I, and there's a certain mental impression, you know, so the name arises and ceases very quickly, but the, the, the impression it leaves lingers for a while. Just by uh, investigating how the, how the mind works, you know the, how it functions. You you begin to to see that that you know how we can wind each other up and uh, you know and intimidate and and uh, <coughs> and kind of arouse all kinds of things just because of the power of words, memories. And and then, but the aim is is this stillness behind it all, behind that that lingering uh, emotional feeling of aversion to George Bush is the stillness, the sound of silence, embracing it. You know, so I'm not going. Into, I should, you know, I should have meta for George. You know, the the ideal, the altruistic tomato is. You know, I should, you know, he's another human being who's suffering and. And we should have metta for him and all that. That's that's altruism, and that you know that's right also. But that's not what I'm interested in. Is going into a into a dialogue or into a you know a discussion about what we should do. You know how we should be. I think we all know that really anyway. But the what I'm exploring is the is how thoughts do affect. The, our mental state. Some leave no impression. 
others positive, negative, or confused, or whatever, but they, this, this awareness that holds, that is able to contain the, the movements of the jitta, the thinking process and emotional reaction. So that's what I call investigating Dhamma, you know, looking into the way it is. And, and that then is from this perspective of the unconditioned, I call this sound of silence the unconditioned, when a, you know, it, it, it's because I don't create it, and it's self-sustaining, so it functions in, in that role. If you want to, you know, put put uh, a name to it, but in terms of of experience here and now, it 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 it, it's, uh, it works that way. So you have this perspective in which I'm not just operating from my own views and biases and prejudices and fixed and and opinions. You know, I can I can get behind my own opinions. You get behind your own cultural biases. I mean, this emptiness isn't, doesn't belong to any of us. You know, it's not personal, it's not cultural or even religious. It isn't, it isn't Buddhist or any other religion. It's, it's, it's the universal that, that we awake, that is, that is recognized through awakening. And then the, then the religions are conventional forms we find ourselves with. Conventional form, then, how to use the conventions of Theravada Buddhism in order to explore experience, to, to really prove, to know for yourself reality, to, you know, not just not just have inspired uh, inspirational moments or or believe in what others tell you so it's an opportunity isn't it and this, this is this is how I value like the the, the tradition I'm in because <coughs> You know, it's what I found myself in, and and it's the conventions that I use. But how to use those conventions? You know, so that actually you're not just creating another identity and another separation. You know, if I become Theravada and Buddhist, or, or that then I and hold to that, then I I'm actually you know find myself uh, separated from all the rest defining myself with one convention without wisdom, without understanding of Dhamma, and then it tends to be another divisive religious form. But if, if I'm using the convention, and of course to me this is the whole point of Buddhist teaching. They weren't trying to create a religion or you know, a personal following uh, by 
criticizing all the other religions and saying I'm right and they're all wrong. But it's actually encouraging uh, the, the awakened attention, not trying to convince us to go along with his views and opinions. So the challenge then for all of us in the monastic form is how to use monasticism, the convention of uh, uh, of the Vinaya and all this for awareness, you know, not to to reinforce the self. How many of you use Vinaya in a way that reinforces yourself? You know, a sense of your purity or lack of purity, or how strict or or lax you are in terms of the rules and the discipline. You know, the, we can grasp. Uh, anything like that in a highly personal way. So the, the encouragement is to really contemplate, you know, how to use restraint, vinaya, things like that, for awareness. No, you know, and this is this is uh, like a conundrum. I'm not giving you the answer; I'm just pointing to the way you can, you know, a way that I've found useful. Sharing what sharing with you what I've what I've found useful in my own practice. That's the best I can do. So it's a very, you know, you can see the, appreciate the, the, um, the opportunity, at least I do, I can appreciate this opportunity enormously. Because uh, here, uh, you know, Amaravati, we've, we've got everything going for us, actually. You know, you couldn't be better supported and, 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 and in a country like, like England, you know, we're, there's no problems here for us. We're not persecuted or, or looked down on or things like this in, the, in this society. We've got, you know, we're living in a tolerant society, religiously tolerant, and in a very nice place with good conditions. The four requisites are you know, abundant really, and then the teaching, Dhamma Vinaya. So these are, you know, just the, what, what is, uh, you know, you've got what is necessary. You've got the, the requisites, adequate requisites in Dhamma Vinaya. So that that means that in this way of reflecting, and that I'm not asking you to believe this, what I'm saying, but to reflect on it. You know what what is necessary for survival as a human being in this society? Well, we've got all that. There's not there's not a there's not a problem around basic survival here. 
in terms of the teaching, you know, at, at this time we've got everything translated into English anyway. So you've got the Tripitaka and the, and I don't know how many commentarial works and modern works and and everything. You know, there's a plethora of of literature on Buddhism now in every school and Theravada included. So, you know, this is not like a a kind of uh, you know, it's not like it's you know, it's very difficult to find anything on Dhammavinya at this time in this in this country. That's not a problem. We've got the internet now. I know nothing about these things, but people keep telling me all the Buddhist websites and that around the world. So I mean, this is not this is not a problem. You know, the problem can be that you, there's so much you just get confused. Sorry. But in terms of the opportunity here, you know, this see that, you know, if you keep thinking, well, you know, the mind will keep uh, creating problems about a place you're living in. You know, so it's, we can create problems about Amravati and so forth, but, but that's the point, is to, is to really look at that. You know, start from the reflective position, recognizing the requisites, Dhammavinya, adequate. I'm not even saying they're the best. They don't have to be the best. And I'm trying to put it on a, you know, a superlative level, adequate. But then uh, that means good enough. And, and then from there, you begin to get some perspective on how the mind will think of it'd be better off in Thailand or or go to some other place. And, and I'm not saying that that's not true, but the important thing is to recognize what you're doing, you know, to be, to recognize the situation here and now and the way that you personally react to it. And I'm not saying that, that you're wrong in your reaction, but the important thing is to recognize that, his reaction. To be able to see, you know, see for yourself from this position of the, of the knowing, the buto, the unconditioned, the conditions you create, and and then to not criticize the way you create conditions, but to recognize what you're doing. That's enough. I'm not saying you're wrong, that you shouldn't ever want to go someplace else. I'm not. That's another, that would be another uh, condition that I'd be making up. But I, the, the important thing is to, is to awaken to the way it is, the here and now. Reflect on it in the conventional form that we, you know, rec reflect on the conventions, how to use these conventions to, for liberation from delusion.